it all comes down to you know what you're willing to work hard towards and what you're passionate about and you enjoy doing and I think all three of those things contributed to me growing at the rate that I've grown. That's the voice of Christina Schuler, owner of Glam Farmhouse LLC, and I'm excited to talk with her right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Christina Schuler, owner of the Rock Hill, South Carolina-based furniture company, Glam Farmhouse, LLC. Christina started her company just three years ago, but since the very first day, it's been full steam straight ahead with no looking back. As she grew her woodworking skills, she also grew a passionate customer base, all demanding the stylized signature pieces she produces. I talk with Christina about her business plan, how she deals with hard clients, what she's experienced as a woman woodworker in the industry, about her upcoming first child, and much more. But let's take it back to how she got her start in the industry, back to why she started to build furniture in the first place. Well, um, kind of similar to a lot of other people, we, my husband and I moved into our first house uh, in 2018 and we had no money after paying the down payment because it was our first house Uh, we didn't have any assets you know to sell and use so all of our savings that we had been saving up uh, went towards the down payment which we only had enough for like 10 percent and then that left us with a i don't know maybe five thousand dollars to our name between the two of us and so we were very tight on you know, budget, you know, going out to eat, what we were buying for the house, but me being a female and wanting to decorate and spruce up, you know, our first house, I wanted a dining room table. I wanted the furniture in the living room. I wanted, you know, all the decorations. And that was when uh, Joanna Gaines was like huge. Uh, I mean, she still is, but that was when she was like, you know, all, all over the place. So I saw a plan from Shanty to Chic, the sisters, and I made a trestle table in the dining room, and then I built a coffee table and a sofa table, and I just fell in love with it. I mean, those first few pieces were god-awful. I mean, looking back at them, I mean, everyone starts somewhere, but I, looking back, I'm like, wow, I really, I really come a long way in a short period of time. But anyways, I I built those and I just fell in love with it. Working at Verizon at the time, hated Verizon. Um, was good at my job, but I hated it. They would pressure you to, to sell iPads to little old grandmas who were having issues with their flip phones and that just didn't sit well with me. So I just didn't like going into work for that reason. So my husband, he being the supportive husband he is, he told me, he's like, well, I see how much you enjoy, you know, woodworking. Cause at, at that point I had built stuff for friends and family and 
Um, I had made a few quote unquote sales on Facebook marketplace, which weren't even really sales. Um, but I just really enjoyed it. So he told me, he's like, well, you know, we don't have kids right now. Um, I have a pretty good stable job. If you want to see if this can go anywhere, you know, quit Verizon. And if it just doesn't work, then I'll support us till you find another job. Uh, you know, no harm, no foul. So it took me about three months to gather the courage to, to quit Verizon because I've never quit anything in my life. And I finally did. And looking back, I mean, I was terrified. I was crying when I put in my two weeks, but it was the best decision I ever made because now, um, obviously, you know, I have a decent following and um, still being a one-woman shop, I you know, just built my 1500 square foot shop last year. And it's only been not even three years since I built my first table. So things are happening pretty quickly, but, um, it, it all comes down to, you know, what you're willing to work hard towards and what you're passionate about and you enjoy doing. And I think all three of those things contributed to me growing at the rate that I've grown. Yeah. Your company has grown so much. <laughs> And in in three years to be where you are and how busy you are is amazing. Obviously, when you were quitting the job, you, you said that it was very <laughs> stressful for you. And, and I can imagine, you know, you don't seem like somebody who wants to, to quit and leave something unfinished, but you weren't happy there. So you decided to move on and you had that great support net to help you along. When you quit, what was the plan? to start this furniture company because you said you you made some sales and you were getting better at building your furniture but you hadn't brought it to the point where you had a, a giant client list how did you start getting that client list and, and getting people to buy your furniture in the beginning so the the first probably year and a half almost two years um I didn't make any money. <laughs> uh, a lot of, you know, I was just, I was out there grinding every single day, like all day, every day in the garage, um, pretty much just to build a portfolio. Cause I didn't want to be that person that took pictures off the internet and posted those as my own work. There's so many people who do that. And if you're listening to this, don't be that person. <laughs> Cause you set an unreasonable expectation to your clients if you post a picture of someone else's work because you didn't build that. Um, and I had to go through a whole um, thing with people stealing pictures of mine. So I started watermarking my own pictures because people would, you know, screenshot a picture of a table I made and then I would find it somewhere else on the internet saying, oh, I built this table, I can build it for you. And I'm like, hey, that's my table. <laughs> so, um, it was a whole thing about building a portfolio so I could actually show my work. And if that means selling a table pretty much at cost to me, just so I could add that to my portfolio, you know, that's, that's what I, that's what I did. And then it got to the point where I was starting to charge a little bit more. Cause I was, I had built a portfolio. I was starting to, you know, get a little more, um, feedback and, Anytime anybody was super happy, I would always ask them, hey, can you leave a review? Reviews are huge. So back then I just had Facebook. 
but now I have Facebook, Google, and the Better Business Bureau um, that people can look at reviews on. So when people go and they look at reviews, you know, they can obviously see what other past clients have have to say about your business, which I was focused on building that portfolio, building a good plethora of reviews. And so that just came down to, you know, cutting the cost so I could get more people, so I could get more portfolio pictures, more reviews to establish that client base because I knew, you know, that that's that's important. You can't just go in and expect people to think you're amazing if you have, you know, no pictures, no videos to show for it, no reviews to show for it. So I would say the first year I pretty much worked for nothing um but i enjoyed it so i didn't mind and like i said my husband he was super awesome and you know if i couldn't afford to help out with the mortgage that month or something you know he'd he'd take care of it because he knew what i was doing and the process of you know building up that that um i don't know client base was important and then once I got to that, it got to the point where it was a lot of word of mouth. Like, hey, my, I went over to my friend's house. I saw her table. She told me you made it. You know, I'd love to get a quote. And that's where I think, at least me personally, that's where I want to be. I, I don't do advertising. Um, I don't pay for ads. I don't do any of that. Right now, everything I do is either repeat customers, like the um, lady this morning who picked up a vanity base and an entryway table. She bought stuff from me a couple of years ago and she knew how, you know, good I was, professional I was, all that. So she came back. I think repeat customers say a lot about your business because obviously if they bought something, they're not going to buy another thing in the future if they're not satisfied with how you treated them or the product in the past um, because you can dump hundreds and hundreds of dollars into advertising. But if your products and your you know, word of mouth and your reviews and stuff don't line up. You're just, you're just wasting your money. Um, but then after that, I would, I started raising my prices a little bit because I was getting more experience. Um, I was building with better materials. I knew how to properly build things instead of using pocket hole screws for tabletops. I, I you know, invested in a domino and started, you know, just building a better quality pieces and then with the profit I made on that that's when I started buying the good tools so the fez tool domino and you know a jointer and a planer and a good dust collection system and so that's why I said probably for the first two years I didn't make any money because that first year was building client base and portfolio then the second year was probably spending all any profit I made putting it right back into the business and buying the tools needed to make the best product I can. And now that I'm in the third year, um, I'm finally to that point where I can, I can actually start seeing profits and benefiting from them. So it, it takes a while. <laughs> it's not an overnight thing. That's for sure. <laughs> it's definitely not an overnight thing. And you're talking about the process of building a portfolio. And that's a very important thing to do. And some people do it like you with a partner who is supportive or they have a full-time job and they do this on the side or any number of ways. But building mm -hmm. that initial portfolio is so important because 
not only do clients get to see the stuff that you can build, you also learn what you personally can build because mm -hmm. your design skill level might be very different than your building skill level. Mm -hmm. As a one woman shop, how has your process of building furniture changed? Because if anyone looks at your social media or knows anything about your business, you are building a tremendous amount of things <laughs> all the time. And it, it is a lot of product being turned out of the shop. And I can imagine you have to stay incredibly organized and, and really have to have your process down. So let's talk a little bit about how your process has changed from the beginning of your company to what you're doing now. Well, at the beginning, like we mentioned, you, you don't really have that, you know, client base, you don't, don't, don't have as many orders, um, all of, all of that. So a little bit slower, of course, you're still learning, like you said, you know, what you're capable of and what your limits are and all of that. So at the beginning it, it was very slow. Um, but as they say, you know, practice makes perfect. And I don't claim to be perfect by any means. I am far from perfect. Um, but I am a lot better than I was. And so investing in the better tools sped things up, experience sped things up, you know, learning how to properly do things sped things up. Um, now that I have a bigger space, because before I worked in the garage, which was about 400 square feet, I would, could only build maybe one or two things at a time just because I was limited by space. But um, now that I have a bigger shop, I even though I'm one person, I try to do an assembly line. So if I have, say, three trestle tables, so three tables the same style do, you know, within a certain period of time within each other, I try to mill all of the top boards up the same day try to do all the glue ups up the same day, try to do all the base pieces and assemble all the bases in the same day. Um, that way I am using my time more efficiently because if I, you know, had one table do three weeks in front of this other table and I just focused on that one, I'd have to go through that whole process, finish it. Then I'd have to start the whole process over again, which takes more time. If you have, you know, I have my planer running, I might as well just mill all the boards at the same time. As I learned and uh, improved my tools and got a bigger space and learned how to manage my time a little bit better, um, that contributed to me being able to, to pump out as much as I do. And people are like, how do you do it? And I'm about to have a, a kid, my first kid, but not having kids helped <laughs> tremendously. Um, not having a job that I had to work during the day helped tremendously. So obviously, you know, those things can, I don't want to say slow you down, but obviously they take up time that you would otherwise have in the shop. So me being able to do this full time and have a supportive spouse in the meantime, that those were huge in, in starting this business. I get a lot of messages. They're like, hey, you know, how can I grow my business? I'm a father of two and I work at, you know, I don't know, the Ford dealership. And I'm like, well, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> it's it's very difficult. Like I work before I got pregnant, I worked like 16 hour days. And that's what people don't see behind the scenes. Like, yeah, I'm pumping out all these tables, but I'm working my butt off <laughs> behind the scenes 
And that's, that's a huge thing is just hard work and determination as well. Well, there was a lot to unpack in there and we're definitely going to get, <laughs> we're, we're definitely going to get to the, the pregnancy <laughs> and a lot of the other stuff that you talked about, but I just want to start with investing back into your business is very important and new tools and you have a new shop and it definitely helps grow your business faster if you're able to invest a lot of that money back into it. But as you continue to grow, you need to start making money from this business. You hmm. said that your pricing changed as the business has grown. Can you talk a little bit about how your pricing structure has changed over the years? So I, <laughs> I'm kind of bad when it comes to pricing. Um, I don't have a formula. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, material times three, which is a common thing that you'll hear if you talk to some people or if you Google it. Um, I pretty much just, I don't want to use the word wing it, but I pretty much wing it. If I have a table that I know is a, very rare like an eight foot round table you can't find that online i'm sorry you google an eight foot round table and like my etsy listing pops up because it's like the only place to find something that big if it's a super rare item that you can't find anywhere else and, it, and an eight foot round table is <laughs> really hard to build i'll tell you that it, <laughs> i did not have fun with that thing um i will definitely you know put in what I think my time is worth. And right now, if I had to break it down into a number for the people listening, I would say I'm between 150 and $200 an hour. Like I said, with my assembly lining and everything, I try to, to manage my time as best as possible. But if I really had to break it down, I would say about $150, $200 an hour plus materials. And then my materials... I obviously mark up as well because I have to spend time driving to the lumber yard, looking through the lumber, picking out the lumber, loading the lumber, unloading it when I get home. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on versus just buying materials. So, I, of course, I'll mark up the materials, too, for, you know, my time and labor going to get it, looking through it, loading it, unloading it when I get home, etc. So it's I don't really have like a set a set thing it's really if I know I can build it super quick and there may be a repeat customer I do give repeat customers who have bought three or more items a 10% discount um that just helps with that reputation thing we talked about at the beginning and also you know keeps them happy because obviously who doesn't like discounts and 10% on two thousand dollars I mean that's 200 bucks who doesn't like saving 200 bucks? I look at, you know, competition in my area that is comparable to my skill level. And I try to stay around what they are. But again, depending on the piece, if it's a piece that only I can make, then obviously I charge for that because supply and demand. You know, if I'm the only one that can supply that item, then I'm, I don't want to sound blunt, but you're going to pay what I charge you because you can't find it anywhere else and I, I don't say that to say that I screw people over but you know an eight foot round table I think right now I don't know what I have it listed for maybe 
like $4,000, which is nothing for that size table, but I'm still making, I'm still making a good profit on my end. So as long as I'm happy with the profit I'm making, the customer's happy, they're getting a good deal. That's where I try to be. Um, I don't want to charge, you know, $10,000 for an eight foot round table when I could just because I can. Um, and then, you know, them be like, I got to pay this. And then them kind of have like a, a, a down feeling about it because they know that I'm the only one that can supply it and they have to pay that price and they don't go into it excited. I want my customers to, when they put their deposit down, I want them to be excited um, and sometimes that backfires on me cause I'll get text messages. Hey, do you have an update on my table? And I'm like, Hey, it's only been a week. Like I told you 12 weeks. <laughs> and so I, I want them to go into it excited and I'd never, I never send progress pictures. I learned my lesson the hard way. People don't understand that things are ugly before they get pretty and they freak out and they cause you more stress. So I don't send progress pictures. Um, I, I literally wait for them to come see it in person and I get their reaction in person. And 99% of the time, they are just over the moon happy with it. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I do. I, I want to make the customer happy. I want them to be excited. I want them to think they're getting a good deal. But I also need to maintain, you know, that good profit margin on my end because, <laughs> as you know, Building furniture is, it's very, very hard work. It's laborious. You're sore. You wake up the next morning some days and you're just like my back. Like it's, it's very, you know, hard on your body. So it, you just have to find that happy medium, I think. Definitely. Again, a, a lot to unpack, but I really want to jump into the fact that you're all about the customer experience. And that mm -hmm. is, is very important for repeat clients. And when you're talking about pricing, people always have to keep in mind that pricing is different for every different business. Expectations of what you need to make and what you need to feel successful is different depending on who you are. You are a, a one person shop. You don't need to keep salaried employees you don't need all that extra stuff so you can make your pricing relevant to how you want it to be and mm -hmm. if the customer experience is forefront in your mind and you want to build that repeat client base you want to build those positive reviews then that that is very important and you can continue to grow it's not like you've been in business 100 years this is still growth of your company and if that's how you're doing it and it's working for you then that's great you said that you don't send progress pictures and i completely understand that and you, <laughs> you said that 99 percent of your clients have been happy but what about that one percent how are you dealing with clients who maybe are unhappy with the finished results or maybe it wasn't what they expected or maybe they're just bad clients and they don't want to <laughs> What, so what kind of yeah what kind of contracts or what kind of fail safes do you have in place for something like that i definitely have a very long disclaimer slash contract that my clients have to read and physically in black and white either by signing it if they're local or if they're in a different state 
sending me an email confirmation saying I have read and agree to the terms in your contract or disclaimer. That way I have proof that they read it and they agree to it. Um, you can go on my website and find the disclaimer. It's under my frequently asked questions, but it's, it's very long. It basically covers everything and anything um, because it's, it's handmade furniture. It's not going to be perfect. It's not cookie cutter out of a factory. You know, each, each piece of wood has different grain. Each piece of wood is going to stain differently. You know, there's so many things. And so I put all of that in there. Um, the 1%, like you said, I, I would chalk that up to just bad clients. Um, so that disclaimer uh, contract is a CYA. If you don't know what that means, it cover your ASS. So um, most times that 1%, I would say 70% of that 1% will acknowledge that it's not my fault and they'll calm down and we'll find a resolution for it. Uh, whether that be doing the change of order where they pay, you know, an additional price for me to correct it, you know, sand it down and stain it a lighter color or whatever. But there is that 30% of that 1% that thinks that they're right no matter what. And unfortunately, in those situations, you can't please everybody and you have to stand your ground. I had, it was about two years ago. Um, that, that lady I just mentioned, she actually brought me to court over it. Um, obviously I won cause I had all the documentation I needed, but there are those people who just, they, they feel like the customer's always right. And usually they are, but they're not the customer is hundred percent of the time is not always right. There's always those few, few and far between bad apples that, you know, they, they made a decision and they didn't like the decision they made and they want to blame it on someone else. And that's where I come in. They want to blame it on me because I'm the one who built it. And you just have to stand your ground. And she left me a bad review. And, you know, I figured that was coming. Um, and I responded to it very, very professionally. And the funny thing was, is because of that interaction, I actually got, I think, three or four new orders. So I got a couple people reached out to me saying the way you responded to her was very professional. And I've been on the fence and I've read all your other reviews and I could tell it was her fault. And I want to talk to you about getting a table and they ordered tables and they loved them. And then the, <laughs> the actual uh, court officer that served me the papers when she sued me, he wound up ordering a table because he walked up to me whenever I was working on some stuff in the garage to give me, you know, the paperwork and we got to talking and um, I gave him my card and his his wife actually contacted me like a week later and ordered a table from me. So even though it was a bad interaction with that client, it wound up getting me four more new clients that were extremely happy afterwards. So you got to you got to take them. Um, I mean, obviously, you're not going to ever have 100 percent amazing clients. You're, you're going to have those bad apples. But it's all, again, about how you how you react to it. Well, that's amazing. That just goes to show you that you can't always know where your clients are going to come from. And the fact mm -hmm. that you, you got from a bad situation, you got the person who served you court papers to buy a table, <laughs> you know, that, that not only speaks to your level of customer service, but 
also the fact that just staying professional in what you do shows and it, it continues to shine through. Mm-hmm. Now, now, if people have been listening up to this point, they should know two things. First and foremost, that you are a furniture company owner. They mm-hmm. should they, they should also know by now that you are a woman. I, I don't think that should surprise <laughs> You know, I don't think that should surprise anyone. Um, I also don't think it should surprise anyone that woodworking has historically been a male dominated industry. Mm -hmm. You, you, along with so many other incredibly talented women that I know have been helping to change that, which, which is amazing because the more diverse an industry gets, the more exciting things come out of it. But just because, yeah, but, but just because things are starting to change a little doesn't mean that your journey hasn't been a hard one in this industry. So let's talk a little bit about your experience, not only as a female woodworker in this industry, but also as a female furniture owner, um, the hardships you faced and how you've overcome them. Oh man. Well, when I first started, I had, like I said, luckily the support of my husband. He was amazing. And the support of my mother. She she always thinks I can do anything I put my mind to. But as much as I love him, my dad, he was not supportive. He was that, you know, stuck in the, the old times. He's like, you never... He straight up told me, he's like, you don't have any experience. You're a female. Like, what makes you think you can do this? You're crazy. You're quitting Verizon. They have, you have a 401k, you have benefits, you have health insurance. You're quitting all of that to do something that, you know, no, I don't want to say no female. Cause like you said, I know, I know so many females in the industry, amazing females. Um, but he doesn't, I mean, he's 60, I don't even know how old he is. He's in his mid sixties. So he personally doesn't know any females that are in this industry. So he's looking at it as I'm, I'm throwing away, you know, this good career path to do something that I'm probably going to fail at. And I could have failed at it. I mean, that's that's the risk. That's why I cried when I put in my two weeks because I know that there's I knew that there was that possibility that this could fail. Um, but me being, I mean, I came from um, an athletic background. I was very competitive, so I think that helps helped with you know me growing the way I did. Very competitive. I am a little stubborn. <laughs> Um, but I am a very hardworking person. I'm a very determined person. I'm always trying to better my, myself. So when I would get those comments, especially from family, um, again, just had to bite my tongue. And I would be like, the biggest motivation for me in the early parts of my journey was proving people wrong. I, and I did that in college volleyball. I had a horrible coach. Um, I wanted to prove him wrong. He's like, well, you can't do that. Oh, really? Watch me. So that was kind of my, um, I guess my biggest motivation was just proving other people wrong, mostly men who didn't believe in me. And to this day, I'll run into, I'll run into guys, you know, I go to Home Depot for something quick and I'll, I'll get, you know, those comments of, I think <laughs> you'll, you'll laugh at this one. The, the worst comment I ever got, I was, I was in Home Depot at, towards the beginning probably the second year I had had gotten most of my big tools by then um and I was citing some some pine uh customer didn't want to pay for oak or anything so 
I was looking at some boards siding and he, this guy walked by me with another guy, I guess they were friends. And he was like, do you even know how to use a hammer? And I was like, I could have, you know, responded in multitude of different ways. Um, and, but instead of getting mad and angry, me being kind of the sarcastic person deep down that I am, I looked at him. I was like, oh, my God, no, I don't. I was like, but I do know how to use my 72 inch helical head parallelogram jointer. Does that count for anything? And his eyes got so big. <laughs> and so I just love proving other people wrong that, you know, make comments like that because they're not used to seeing, you know, females in the industry, especially if you know me, I'm, I'm a really tall, skinny, lanky girl. Like I'm not like a big buff person you would think that could lift lumber and whatnot, but, um, when they see that stereotype being broken, it's, it's kind of an eye opener for them. And it's kind of fun. I mean, and they'll, they kind of eased off and they were like, what, what you, you, what's it, you know, you have that. And then I get to talking to them and then, then I can kind of educate them. So they started talking to me and I'm like, yeah, you know, I own a furniture business and I showed them pictures of stuff I did on my Instagram. And they were just like, you did that? Like, does your husband help? I'm like, no, it's just me. So then I can kind of educate them. I'm like, yeah, you know, and I also follow like these awesome women and they build awesome stuff and just trying to get the word out. Like, you know, it's becoming hopefully more of a common thing of, you know, women in the trades and not just woodworking, but anything, you know, plumbing, electrical, um, you name it. There's, you know, more and more women going into those industries. And um, if that makes sense. That completely makes sense. And I really, really like that story example of, of when you were when you were in the store and, and how instead of a angry comment back or instead of ignoring it, you instead took that opportunity to explain to those guys who didn't know that you were a furniture maker. They didn't know that there was all these furniture makers out there. Like you said, your father just doesn't know. He's of a generation that did not grow up with men and women both working in the trades. So it's very important for that education. Instead of just getting angry and thinking that people should know it, everyone has different backgrounds, everyone has different experiences. And the only way to move past that is the education. It's all about explaining it and sharing different points of view. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I think that that I think that was that was a perfect example that you gave. <laughs> and I, I, I really I really love that you did. Um, you have a lot going on. You have a, a relatively young business in years, but more of an older established business in the actual way it's run and your sales and the types of uh, pieces that you're making and, and the amount of pieces that you're making. You are growing incredibly, um, not only in your business, but also um, you are, <laughs> I was going to make a, I, I was going to make a growing incredibly in, in business, but also in your pregnancy. And I, yep. I think, I think that was a funny joke, but I don't yep. know. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave that in and we'll see what people think. But, I, I, but what, what's next for you? What's next for you business-wise? What's next for you life-wise? How are you going to keep running a a, a furniture company that is a physical entity where you need to build things with 
extra responsibilities that you didn't have before? That's, I'm still, I'm still figuring that out. Uh, we, we were not planning this. I wanted to wait maybe two or three more years. Um, but universe has other plans uh, for everybody. And so, I mean, I'll be honest when I, when I found out, uh, you can, you can ask my friend, Jay, Jay Mouter with Mouter Woodwork. He, he was the first person I told I was freaking out. I had plans to open a retail storefront this year. I was already looking at storefronts and talking to leasing managers and everything and talking to banks and getting my business plan put together to present to these people. Um, I was already going through that process. I was already going through the process of potentially adding employees to my payroll and switching my business from a sole proprietorship LLC to uh, an S corp. So there was a lot of stuff I had already started the process on. Um, And then February came around. That's when I found out that I was pregnant. And like I said, I was devastated um, because I had all these plans, but as you know, the weeks went on and I calmed down, um, me being the person I am, like mentioned before, I was like, well, I'm hardworking. I figure things out. I, you know, don't lose, I don't want to say lose hope, but I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. So I was like, this, this had to have happened for a reason. Um, Luckily, I'm not a teenager. Luckily, I'm married. Luckily, we have a house. Luckily, my husband has a good job. Luckily, my business is doing good. So I was like, I, when I found out, I was looking at the glass half empty. But I switched to looking at the glass half full because I was like, wow, I have all this going for me. Yes, I may have to put the brakes on some of the stuff I really wanted to do this year. However, it's not like, this was the only year I could do it. I can do it next year or I could do it the year after that. I kind of rewrote my business plan for the next few years, knowing that I'm not going to profit as much just because I can't work as much. Um, But I'm going to probably start, you know, building some smaller things, building some stuff that I can have my kid out in the shop with me while I do maybe transitioning more into doing some home renovations because I can be inside in the air conditioning, tiling backsplash and have my kid right there with me. I can be inside, you know, nailing crown molding or doing an accent wall with my kid right there with me versus only doing furniture all the time and having, you know, the dust collection running, the jointer running, you know, all these loud tools running where I would not be able to have a kid out there just for safety reasons, for their hearing and for just all the stuff in a shop that a kid can get into, especially a young kid. But if I can kind of incorporate something to where I can have my kid with me um, and she can grow up watching her mom do all this awesome stuff then that can hopefully get her in the mindset that she can do whatever she puts her mind to, whatever that may be. I'll support her, whatever she decides to do. Um, But I just want her to grow up seeing me working hard, being determined, creating these awesome, you know, client interactions and whatnot and having her by my side versus sending her off to a daycare and me, you know, doing what I've been doing. 
Um, I mean, people tell, told me in the past I, I was working myself to death and I really was. I mean, there were days where I literally felt like I got hit by a freight train. I would pull all nighters. I'd be in the shop all night, no sleep. Um, and my health, I don't want to say my health was deteriorating, but I was not a hundred percent healthy because of how much I was working. So going back to the, everything happens for a reason. I think getting pregnant is stopping me from essentially killing myself in the shop. And it's kind of shifting my perspective to, you know, doing something that's going to be a little less taxing on myself, but then also, you know, helping my daughter grow up, seeing her mom be a hard worker and all that stuff. So it's, (laughs) it's, it's not figured out yet, but we're getting there. You've shared so much of your journey with us and so much information about your business and how you've grown it so fast that if anyone wants all the tips, they can just re-listen to this episode. But (laughs) if there's somebody who is just starting out and wants to make that jump or they already have a furniture company and they want to make it more successful, what is the one thing you would tell them to focus on to make their dreams a reality? Oof, one thing, that's hard. There's so many things. Um, I would say, you know, building that client base and just having good relationships with clients because that's what's gonna build you business in in the future is that word of mouth and making a good product that your client will enjoy for years and potentially come back to you for a second item, a third item, a fourth item. But that goes hand in hand with producing a good product. If you don't produce a good product, your customer's not going to be happy no matter how nice you are to them. So I would say, you know, focusing on building quality products as you know to your experience level obviously like me when you start you're not going to build something like someone who has 15 years 20 years 30 years of experience does i there's people i look up to who build way better than i do just because they have more experience than i do and i i learn every day you know what to do what not to do so i would say just whatever your experience is you know build the best to your abilities and have get that good connection with those customers that way as you grow your customers will essentially grow with you um, not only the number of customers you have but the quality of customers because as you raise your prices you will get better customers I mean there's you know someone buys something for a hundred bucks they're not expecting much and in my experience, those were usually the most complicated customers because they're they're getting something custom and they're usually not used to getting something custom. But someone who's used to paying a high price for something is used to getting something custom and they're used to those disclaimers of this is handmade. It's going to, you know, it might be different than the picture you saw. The color might vary, all of that. They under They already understand those things. So those expectations are better with the customers who are used to getting custom items um, versus the ones who aren't and expect everything to be perfect because it's custom. Um, so anyways, 
growing your customers, growing um, your experience, I think those go hand in hand um, because you you can't grow either of those without one or the other, I think. Because if you don't have the clients, you're not building the furniture, so you're not getting the experience. If you're you know, not building to the best of your abilities and your customers aren't happy, you're not building your customer base. So I think those two things, I know you said one, but I think those two things kind of are one. They could go hand in hand. Well, I'll give you two. You get a pass on this one. (laughs) Thank you so much for sitting down with me, um, for sharing your story, your knowledge, your information with the community. I really do appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck, not only in your furniture company success, but also in your family success. And um, yeah, congratulations on all you've accomplished so far. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.